space. Um, it is absolutely fascinating. It's called Falcon Heavy. For those of you in Yangchep or who don't know what's happening in the wider world, what it is, it is the most powerful rocket on planet Earth. It is 70 meters high, this rocket. Uh, it's got 27 engines. I've written it down here, so I know what I'm talking about. It's got so much power, get this. It's got the same power as 18 Jumbo 747 jets together. It's got the same liftoff power, incredible. You, you, could, you could hear the launch from miles away. I saw a little clip in the news where people parked for miles. You couldn't even get a parking spot watching this rocket launch off. Uh, fascinating, they had a whole press gallery with bleachers, these stadiums where the press could watch. Uh, I love the way when the rockets came back and landed, the two side boosters. Do you know they, they're so loud and fast, it called it What's this? I don't know, but I'll tell you anyway. It sounded impressive. A triple sonic boom. How cool is that? I don't know what it is, but it sounds amazing. But this was launched this week, and that's nothing, because we've got a bouncy castle. <laughs> I mean, our launch is going to be amazing too. But this whole thing, this, this rocket launch, it's all the brainchild of this man born in Cape Town. Cape Town people, strange. Um, his name's Elon Musk, and he's obviously a visionary par excellence. This guy sees things. He's a young whippersnapper. He's only 46 years old. Um, but he's a multi-billionaire. In fact, something you might not know, he's one of the co-founders of PayPal. That's where he made his first fortune. But anyway, Tesla cars is his, this rocket whole thing is his. But you've got to think to yourself, this guy must be such a visionary. I don't think he walks through life like you and me. He sees things that we don't see. He's an absolute visionary. And do you know why he's launching this rocket? Do you know what this rocket's all about? Get this. He wants to colonize Mars. The whole plan is he wants to build a city on Mars. Talk about visionary. He can see, I mean, what's a city on Mars look like? Can you picture it? Because I can't. What is a city like? Will it succeed? I mean, absolutely incredible. He, what's going on in his head is a mystery. Which one of us thought of colonizing Mars? Uh, what will it look like? Will it succeed? We can't see into this guy's head. He's such a visionary. But this morning I want to tell you, that God and Elon Musk are different, which, which is an understatement, I know, but they're different in a lot of ways. And one of the surprising things, one of the major differences is, get this, we know what God is up to. We may not be able to see everything Elon Musk can see. We can't see inside his head, and if I can put it so bold as this, we get to see what's inside God's head. And I'm putting that a bit boldly. But we know exactly what God visions, what God sees. And you say, that's a bit presumptuous. Well, no, because God has told us. God has opened up and he's shown us very clearly what he has in mind. In fact, if I may put it in these terms, uh, God is almost going to show us 
like this. When I'm finished, this is what it's going to look like. That, that's what God has told us. You know, when I was a kid, uh, look, this is before Minecraft. And, you know, imagine you, we, we never dreamed you'd have computers in your own house. So what you did was, as a kid, you bought model airplanes. It comes in a box. No one does this anymore. And, and it's got all these trillions of pieces and this glue, and you put it together. The problem with me is, I, because other boys did it, peer pressure, I try to do it. And you know what? It never looked like what it looked like on the box. Why are there two wings on the same side? That can't be right. It, it, oh, I hated it. My mum, that was when she knew I had a temper problem. I don't do those fiddly things, you know. The, the difference with God is he's going to show us the box. And it's going to end up exactly like he shows us. The picture we're going to see this morning is going to be identical to the way it turns out. Let me show it to you. I'm very excited about it. By the way, here's the first thing I do want you to notice is that God's vision is our vision. Please don't come to our church and think, you know, Matt and Dwayne, they go to the dome and they concoct all these ideas for the church. <laughs> no, we're both dumb. It comes, well, one more than the other. It comes, it comes our vision for our church comes directly from the scriptures. God gave it to us. I'm going to show it to you. God's vision is our vision. I'm going to run through it with you quickly. And this is the longest point. First thing to notice. Jesus Christ standing in victory. Folks, that, that's where it's going to end up. Jesus Christ standing in victory. Uh, by the way, these points are in your pamphlet. Have a look in your brochure. You'll see them all there for you. But here's the first text. Look at this. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. This is a picture that God gave to John to give to us. And it's there for you in Revelation 5. And here's the first thing to notice. Look again at that language. Look at it. Did you see the lamb standing amongst the elders and in and between? And the language you have here is that Jesus Christ is the center of everything. Oh, wait, I've got such a who plays Scrabble. Write this down. Do you know what a synergy is? Do you all know what a synergy is? Such a cool word. Uh, we'll be using it a lot for the rest of our lives. Synergy is where something is the focal point, the center of absolutely everything. Everything points to it. Everything flows towards it. Everything looks at it. A synergy is like a bride at a wedding. A bride at the wedding is the synergy of her wedding. Or the sun in our solar system is the synergy of our solar system. Jesus Christ, look at it, is the synergy of the universe. Everything focuses on him. It all flows to He's in the middle of it all. But even more important... Jesus Christ is the center of God's vision. Through all eternity, God's plan was to promote 
and glorify and publish and show his created universe the beauty of his son, Jesus Christ. God created everything so that Jesus could be glorified. God redeemed everything so that Jesus Christ would be glorified. He is the center of everything. But the other thing to notice from this passage, look at it again, between the throne, and the four living creatures, among the elders, he's the center, look at this. I saw a lamb standing. Very important. What we're told here is that Jesus Christ, the center of all things, is victorious. He's the winner. He's the one standing. He's standing in absolutely you, victory. You know what we often say? We play games. The last one standing. Who's the last man standing? You know? Same thing. Jesus is the last one standing. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Everything, everyone, every power will collapse. The stock exchange is collapsing. It might bounce up again. But one day, it will collapse forever. Every power, the biggest, strongest power you can think of, will fall down. Everything is going to collapse. And there will be one person left standing still. It's him. He stands alone. He alone will be the last man standing the victory. Which is why, look, did you see it spoke about seven horns? That the, the number, all the numbers in Revelation are symbolic, and seven is one of them. It just means complete power, total power. Horn is a symbol of power. Jesus Christ has seven horns, complete power. Did you see he's got seven spirits? There's only one Holy Spirit. Again, it's a picture language, and they sent out into all the earth. You know what that tells us? Jesus Christ has victory, total victory over everything. The seven spirits guard into all the earth. Jesus has not divided the world between Christianity and Islam. He rules over it all. He's he has jurisdiction over every square millimeter of the universe. Total, complete victory. How, how did he win this victory? Well, look at it again. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. That's how he won his victory. That's how he won. Jesus Christ achieved victory through dying. It was when he hung on that cross that he was beating up Satan, beating up sin, beating up the world. It was then that he won his grand slam. It was then that he triumphed over the whole world. Jesus Christ standing victorious over everything, standing in victory. So, what Matt's going to show you is how we align ourselves with that. Because look at your brochures. It will not take you long at our church to realize that you're not the center, I'm not the center, that Jesus Christ is the synergy of our church. We never, you bear witness, we never stop talking about Jesus Christ because we line ourselves up with what's on God's heart. Our brochure is all about Jesus. Everything we do is about it. Jesus. Matt will show us practically how we do that. So that's the first thing. 
Jesus Christ standing in victory. A little bit quicker. Look at this. Number two. This is wonderful. With a great crowd. This is wonderful. He's not alone. It's such good news. Have a look at this text here. Oops. Jump forward. After this I looked. And behold a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. I love this. He's not alone. He's the last man standing, but he's not alone. He's not alone. In the very place of victory, Jesus has his people with him, gathered around him. Everything Jesus wins... He wins for his people. He does it for his people, on behalf of his people. Did you see Roger Federer? Such a cool guy. I mean, who doesn't love Roger Federer? So there he is, tears and all. Wasn't that emotional? Anyway, so he wins, right? And what does he do? He looks at the box, you know, with his little wifey and the coach and the physio and the dietitian and the guy who picks his shoes and the guy who drives his car. I don't know. There was a crowd. Anyway, and he looks at them and he, he acknowledges them. He's got the trophy, yeah? But he looks at them and he says, this one's for you. You know, thank you. You're part of it. Jesus is better than Roger Federer. Do you know why? Because we're actually on the podium with him. On that great universal podium, when the prize of the universe is handed out, Jesus will be standing number one, but with all his people with him, around him. His victory is our victory. You know, in the heart of every single person in Perth is the desire to win. You might say you're not competitive, but you are. That's why you endure the traffic on the, on the Mitchell Freeway. You know, we all want to win. Jesus says, I've won for you, beyond Perth, into eternity. The joy of God's people is that we are with him. You know what Perth thinks? Perth thinks he who dies with the most toys wins. Jesus says, no, he who dies with me wins. On that day, standing with Jesus, do you people know what a laugh it's going to be? When we've won victory over sin, over suffering, over death, and we stand in victory with him. Roger Federer, I don't know where he stands with Jesus, I really don't know. But I know this, on that day, Roger Federer would swap 20 grand slams to be standing on that podium with us and Jesus Christ in victory. And I love the way it's every tribe, every nation, every language, every tongue. You know what's so beautiful about this? This is what Australia is trying to do. Do we not, in Australia, we're trying to create a unified nation out of diversity, through shared values. I'm spouting Malcolm Turnbullish. You recognize it. And we're trying, it's a good thing to try for. But we're struggling. Jesus does it. Look what he does. He has all these different people. They're all united together out of one value. Not shared values. One shared value. Him. It's him we love. He's our chief value. We're united. We have the same value. Our first job as a church, which Matt's going to show us, 
We want to get some people from Perth there. Represent. We want to get people from here, there. That's what we're trying to do as a church. We want some of our own neighbours. I'd love my neighbours to be there. I, you know, I was thinking we had Karis's friends in the swimming pool yesterday and all the mums and dads came and I'd love some of them to be there. That's what we're trying to do as a church. Thirdly, our vision is Jesus Christ standing in victory with a great crowd. And thirdly, and fourthly and fifthly, we're going to see something about this crowd. First of all, they ransomed by his blood. That great crowd, how did they get there? Are those the smartest people in the world? You only get there if you've got hair. What, what, you know, who, how do you get to be in that great crowd? And the answer is, they're not the goodest people. They're really not. The answer is they ransomed by his blood. That's what they have in common. Look at this verse from Revelation. You were slain. And by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. This is what Jesus was doing when he hung on the cross. He was purchasing people. He was buying people. He was ransoming people with his blood. Not with precious things like silver or gold, perishable things. But with the inestimable, infinite value of his life. He was buying people. I know, I read a little bit. I know of no other religion in the history of humanity where your God buys you with his life. In some religions, you give your life for your God. In other religions, you kill other people for your God. In Jesus Christ's religion, he gives his life to ransom his people. It's absolutely unique. Why did he have to do this anyway? Because we sold ourselves. We sold ourselves. We were in slavery to sin. We were in slavery to our passions. We were in slavery to the principles of this world. No one cared. No one loved us enough. Everyone said just be good and we couldn't. Only Jesus bought us back from the slavery we had sold ourselves into. And on that cross, he took all our condemnation. We are those who are uncondemned because he took it for us when he died. You know, when you've bought something expensive, I don't know, maybe it's just me. You know, if you buy something, you know your life is like concentric circles of value. I'm just making this up on the spot. Um, and you know, you buy something expensive, it comes closer and closer. You buy a new broom. Where do you keep it? You know, it's out there in the shed. You buy a new lawnmower, oh, that's got to be locked up. Comes a little bit closer. Maybe you'll check that you really did lock the garage that night. You know, buy a new computer, that comes even closer, man. That's in the bedroom next door. And if there's a sound at night, you just, hey, that new computer, just double. You know, new surfboard in your bed. No, no. Um, uh, you have a new child. You have a new baby. You don't put the baby in the shed. You don't put the baby in the garage. You don't even put your newborn baby in the room next door. It comes right next to you. The more you value, look at Jesus. Who's around him? His people. They're not out there. They're not over there. They're not populating another planet like the Mormons mistakenly think. They're with him because he loves them. He ransomed them 
with his life. Ransomed by his blood, robed in white. This is too amazing. How, who doesn't want to be a Christian? Look at how God's people are described. They're robed in white. What's the difference between three and four? Let me explain it this way. In number three, ransomed by his blood, Jesus took something away from you. He took your sin away from you. In number four, robed in white, he gave you something. And what he gave you was his righteousness. Look at this text here. A great multitude, no one could number, from every nation, tribes, peoples, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and look at the dress code. Clothed in white robes. Why? Why are they wearing white robes? It's a picture, like everything in the book of Revelation. It's a picture. His bride has made herself ready. Revelation 19. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It's true. God's people do good things, and that's what righteous deeds are. But there's more because of that word granted. Here's what Jesus did. When he died on that cross, he didn't just take your sins and leave you neutral. What he did was he gave you his righteousness. Every good deed. You know when God looked down at Jesus and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus said, okay, cool. I'll take all that credit and I'll give it to God's people. Now you stand here, and you're a horrible sinner, but you stand here and God looks down at you and says, this is my child in whom I'm well pleased. Why? Because you're wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's what he did for you. This is what makes Christianity so much better than religion. Religion can give you forgiveness. Christianity can give you righteousness. Think about it. Listen to the language of forgiveness. The judge sitting on the bench looks at the criminal and says, you're a guilty criminal, but the penalty has been paid. Listen, you can go. That's not Christianity. Christianity is this. You're a guilty criminal, but the penalty has been paid. You can come. Not go. Come. This is what makes us... It, it, what, which judge says to a criminal, your penalty's been paid, go. Which judge says to a criminal, your penalty's been paid, come home with me. Have my house. Have my car. Have my surname. Live with me forever. What have I done? No, nothing. But come anyway. But this is Christianity. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is all over us. You know, we've got such a message for Perth. All those people, us too, we're trying to make something of ourselves. Our message says Jesus has made something of you. He's given you his credit. He's given you his achievements. He's given you his righteousness. Lastly, this is our vision. Don't anyone be mistaken. This is, where it's going. This is what's on the back of the model box. This is where it's going to end up. Jesus Christ standing in victory with a great crowd, ransomed by his blood, robed in white. What are they going to do for eternity? Play golf. Nah, this is what we're going to do. Something infinitely better. 
rejoicing in him. This is what your heart is after. If you, if you say to Naomi, my wife, do you, do you want to watch a movie? It's the same line every single time. Has it got a happy ending? She does not watch a movie that hasn't got a happy ending. It must have a happy ending or she's not interested. And you know, I get that. Because think about this life. Who wants to go through the drama of this life with all its disappointments, all its brokenness, all its hurts, all its pain, and then not have a happily ever after? Who wants to do that? I pass. Go watch movies instead. The joy is that we are heading to joy. Look at this last verse. And this whole crowd, Revelation 7, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's pure, unadulterated delight. They sit there gazing at the Lamb, gazing at the Father, and their hearts erupt, look at it, crying out with a loud voice. Friends, this, look at it closely, This is what the human heart is searching for. Our hearts are radars. Our hearts are looking for something of surpassing value that we can delight in. We're looking. Our hearts are constantly searching every day. What thing of beauty can I find to treasure and delight in. That's what our hearts are. How's this? Where does joy come from? This is rocket surgery. Joy comes from enjoyment. Duh. Yeah? Joy comes from enjoyment. And so you have to have something that you enjoy. And if you want your joy to be infinite, and if you want your joy to last forever, what do you need to find? Well, duh. Something of infinite value. Something that is eternally perfect and beautiful. Your heart is a homing beacon, a homing device. And God put it in there. He put it in there so that we may seek and search and find him. You want to be happy, there's your happiness. Our hearts are designed to find the surpassing treasure of him who is infinite treasure and feast on him forever. But notice how it works both ways. The more we enjoy God, the more glorified he is. The more we praise him, the more we say salvation belongs to him. In other words, God's so clever, he's wired the whole universe that the more we adore him, the more glorified he is. And so it goes on forever. North Coast Church exists to show people that this world is not the treasure. We try and tell people that health, wealth, and prosperity are not your goal. He is your treasure, whatever it takes. And that joy grows more and more until you die and you see him in all his glory. So that's our vision for our church. Jesus Christ standing in victory, 
with a great crowd, ransomed by his blood, robed in white, rejoicing in him. Now, here's my question. What's missing? What's not there? It's a trick question. There's nothing. That's how it ends. That's the end. I've nothing better to say. That's how it ends. It is absolutely brilliant. Let me close with this thought. Do you ever find yourself waking up and thinking, how did I come to this? Did you ever wake up in the morning and think, I never thought my life would end up like this. I'm, I'm married to this person. Um, I got this house. You might look down and say, where did that tummy come from? I don't, I don't know where this tummy came from. You know? Life is full of surprises. And you suddenly end up thinking, how did I come to this? How did I come to this? Friends, you don't need to think about that. If you look at that, that's how it's going to come to an end. If you arrive in a time in your life and you think, how did I come to this? You look back and you think, maybe I should have made better choices. Maybe I should have made better decisions. But friends, as a church, what Matt's going to do is he's going to show you we're making choices, we're making decisions, not out of surprise, but in line with how it's all going to end. This is our vision as a church. We want to make choices and orientate ourselves in accordance with that ending. Let me, today we're not going to do question and answers as we usually do. I'm just going to pray, and then, as you can see, we're going to sing. So let me pray.